1: Good morning, it's 9.01, you are tuned to 102.73 RRR, and it's time for this week's edition of Radio Marinara. We are the program about all things wet and salty. My name's Bron Burton.
2: My name's Dr Beach. Good morning, Dr Beach. Good morning, Dr Burton. <laughs> How are you? I'm very well. Good. Pleased to hear it. Et toi? Ah, very well. That's good.
1: I can't pretend to speak in French this morning. Or is it
2: et two? I don't know. I don't it,
1: know no, it was right, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, um... Thank you very much, Tim.
2: Tim Thorpe, hardest working man in radio, <laughs> as we say, and indeed he is.
1: Just completed his sixth hour of Vinyl Bits for this morning, and many thanks to Andrew Minger.
2: For this morning or this weekend?
1: Oh, this weekend, sorry.
2: I was going to say, thank God you. he was here at, what, three? <laughs>
1: <laughs> and thanks, Andrew, for Soulful Bits. Wonderful as always. And thank you, Kent, up front, in case I neglect to thank Kent at the end. Kent's um, also the uh, awesome, yes, you are, Kent. <laughs>
2: Kent's really awesome. I, I'm, I'm really enjoying Kent on the doctors afterwards. Oh, oh.
1: We're going to get you on the mic with Marinara.
2: Or, or, or are you, are you, do you hide behind the moniker of um, panel biter?
1: Oh, we're going to get him on. Yes,
2: panel beaters—that's the one. Pan- <laughs> yes, that's. <laughs> a, yeah. you, you, you've you've got the best voice on Sunday morning
3: radio, I reckon. Surely not. No, Cam. Cam's got a great, great radio voice, isn't he? Yeah, but he's after twelve, so he's not in the morning. Oh, okay.
1: <laughs> You scientists. <laughs> You're so particular. <laughs> I think we need to get um I think we need to get Kent and um Tim on air together. And we can all just lie back and relax and enjoy. Oh. That's
2: right. Yeah, yeah. it'd be very cruising.
1: Let's go into and you, Dr. Beach, of course. We should really just get into the program. Life's a beach coming up shortly.
2: Uh yes, I'm, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be depressing again. I'm gonna talk about um, decreasing o- ocean circulation, lack of oxygen, decline in phytoplankton, mm-hmm. all sorts of wonderful things like that just mm-hmm. to remind us that the end is nigh. Great. Great.
1: Happy days.
2: Happy days. (laughs) I've
1: got some happy news along the same
2: line. I try try to not, but I open nature and I open science and it's just between you and me, Bron, it's about all I read these days um, in the science world. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, shit's gone down. So I've got got to share it with everybody out there.
1: Do you know what? We've got a really nice. I'm just looking at the the lineup for today. A nice yin yang kind of balance of good and
2: well. That's what I was thinking, and, and not I, so good news. I knew that we had um, we've Cade, got- Cade coming on later on to talk about. Nudie branks.
1: We do. Um, we've got Cade coming into the studio in his capacity as the Reef Watch coordinator, working with the Victorian National Parks Association, and he is going to be spearheading next week. I don't know if that's uh, we'll call it that. Not spearfishing,
2: spearheading. Spearheading, yeah, long a pointy bit.
1: Point, yes. The first ever uh, Victorian sea slug census. So this is happening but, but next week. Before we go,
2: we're not spearing sea slugs. No. We'd We'd want to do that. We're we're shooting them with um, cameras.
1: That's right. Yeah, nice. And
2: observing them with eyes.
1: Yes. So this is a first ever Victorian uh, contribution to what is, I don't know if it's fully national, it's been going on in New South Wales for a while. So to speak to that and the origins of this program, we're also going to be speaking on the phone with Professor Steve Smith from the National Marine Sciences Centre. They're based in Coffs Harbour. So looking forward to catching up with both of them about the sea slug census next weekend. He
2: he also plays cricket, doesn't
1: he? Steve Smith. I'm sure that's his name. It is. (laughs) yeah.
2: Not for much longer.
1: (laughs) Let's move on. I really don't care about the cricket. Hate me for that, but I really don't care about that either. And then uh, Jeff is coming in with the next uh, instalment from his 2018 edition of Soundwaves, which is his look back. Sometimes look currently, depending on what it is, but about the quirkier marine-themed shows, movies, documentaries.
2: When did it stop being called Marine Soundscapes?
1: I don't know. I think he called it Soundwaves. Right. Yeah.
2: Perhaps I'm just misremembering something else.
1: (laughs) It's the longest-running... Uh can't settle on a name for the segment that I think this um, this program's ever had anyway. But all that I've got from him about his um, his thing today, his uh, contribution today, is that it's a TV show with an Australian icon and a token sexy marine biologist. So we can all look forward to that. And in the middle of the show, we ne- neglected to mention Terry Allen's going to be on the phone to give us a dive report. Excellent. I don't know who would have been diving yesterday.
2: It oh, was nasty. Whoa.
1: But I was happy. It
2: was nice inside. Got it. Woolies. Looking out the window. Got to rug the, up. Cracking the Venetians, seeing yeah. the street flood. Listening to music. It was a perfect day, actually. Cracking
1: a nice bottle of wine, too.
2: Didn't do that. I did. Nice one. Good one. Mm. Right?
1: Yeah. Nice. Nice. Weather, if you please, Dr. Beach. Then, then we'll have some news.
2: Been sûr. Um, today, 11, it's pretty chilly out there. Been a bit of a sprinkle on the windscreen as I, I drove up here. Naughty me, driving and not riding or getting on a tram. Um, minimum eleven. Damn chilly last night. I, I cracked out the dressing gown for the first time this morning. <laughs> There's that, an image for us all. Re- Realised there was a bit of bit of breakfast there from last winter down the front. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Probably need to send it off to the dry cleaners before we fully use it for this winter there
1: are so many different ways that I could go with this conversation but I'm going to end them all right now it's
2: it's a beige colour deep deep beige almost brown colour
1: the the dressing gown or the breakfast
2: (laughs) no the dressing gown breakfast was kind of yellow dried egg yeah (laughs) thanks next Uh, yeah 11 degrees this morning, chilly, needs dressing gown. 19 degrees today, um, winds 21 degrees, 60% chance of just a couple of showers most likely in the morning. Winds northwest 25 to 35 kilometres per hour. Um, tomorrow, 20 degrees, 16 degrees, shower or two. We're going to have a couple of showers tomorrow and not much, um, less than a millimetre. Tuesday, 17 degrees with a minimum of 12. Wednesday, minimum of 10, 19. Warming up slightly towards the end of the week. Thursday, 21 degrees, partly cloudy Friday, if we can even predict that far, it's going to be 23, and they're saying at the moment 25 degrees next Saturday, so it will get a little bit warmer, so perhaps you won't need the dressing gowns later on the week. Um, Tides, Uh, what do we want? We want Point Longstile, don't we? Uh, Low tide at 4.40am this morning, that's way past, I know one cares about that. High tide at 18 minutes past 11am at the Heads this morning. And swell, for what it's worth, um, it's going to be... I'm just having a bit of... In case you haven't detected out there, I'm having a bit of trouble reading the fine print here. Uh, Large swells building across the coast, though gale-force westerly winds are restricting the only surfable options... To protected points and coves. Mm. To protected points and coves. As are always, the only surfable options. As always,
1: morning. we um, we read that with the caveat that uh, if you really want an accurate report, get onto swellnet and check it out for yourself, because it can change between when the publication is uh, is submitted and when we read it out. Indeed. Uh, We've got a couple of quick minutes. I'm going to do a quick couple of quick plugs um, for events that are going on today. We've mentioned this one a couple of times. Uh, Tangaroa Blue and Kathmandu are having a clean-up event today between 1 and 3 p.m. at Westgate Park in Port Melbourne. Uh, so if you want some more information on that, the best thing you can do is to just, um, in your search engine, just put in Tangaroa Blue clean-up Westgate Park. That will probably get you there, I think. Yeah. Um before you do that, or even afterwards, the Slow Fish Festival is on today. You've probably heard some station announcements about that. And the uh, organiser of that, Alison Peake, came into Radio Marinara to Triple R last week, along with uh, Phil McAdam, who's going to be one of the presenters, talking about the benefits of local uh, commercial fishing and also um, what that leads to, which is uh, some educative talks, on um there's a seafood market there's a cooking demonstration and it's very kid friendly so that's running from today from 10 till 4 at spotswood kingsville rsl and grounds 16 mary street spotswood so in the same vicinity as the cleanup event so you could do both
2: i'd like to do that i'd, I'd like to go yeah well both of those
1: be pretty cool yeah um i reckon we should hear some music yeah
2: what, let's what do you hear think music. now you've yeah. pro,
1: you've programmed this first track
2: well, I don't know about programming it, but I just felt a duet coming on, an unashamedly American duet. You're listening to Radio Marinara on 3RRR Sunday morning, and that was Nancy Griffith with Adam Duritz from um, her 1994 album called Flyer, going back to Georgia.
1: Very nice. Yeah, I
2: listening to the bit of Nancy the other night and I thought, I like that track so much, I'm going to share it with the world. Cool. On Sunday morning.
1: Very nice. Yeah. Got some life's a beach?
2: Uh, yeah, my segment, that's right. Um, I thought I'd play something, you know, cheery and uplifting like that before I get into, um, you know, the bit of the gloom and doom. But our friend Sylvia Earle, mm-hmm. uh, Sylvia Earle we've talked about numerous times on this program, she's one of our heroes um, in the marine science world and she works at the, well she's, explorer in residence for National Geographic Society at the moment, and she has written a letter to the um, the journal, The Weekly Science, and this was published a couple of weeks ago. Letters can be like a full-on peer-reviewed publication, but they can also be a literal letter, and this one is oxygen de- or Ocean Deoxygenation, Time for Action. And... Sylvia, along with a few other people who rejoice in the names of Dawn Wright, Samantha Joyce, Dan Lofley, um, mostly people from North America, uh, it, it's, it's kind of a call to arms mm. for everybody. And this is comes about from a review which was published a couple of months ago on declining oxygen in the global ocean and coastal waters. And I talked about this a couple of weeks ago as well, how they're changing in ocean circulation, particularly in the southern hemisphere, and I'm going to talk about changes in the ocean circulation in the northern hemisphere soon, Um, well, in about five minutes. But this is leading to a decline. So as oxygen is depleted in the ocean, there's now good evidence that this is dramatically depleted in the last 50 years due to pollution from land, um, more bacteria growing in the ocean because there's more nutrients washing into the ocean, and also through climate change, and I'm not going to go into those direct links at the moment, but there is really good evidence that oxygen is depleting, and this is going to have a big effect on the phytoplankton, and as I've said many times on the show, the phytoplankton, and I'm really pleased that they say it here, that the phytoplankton um, give us half of the oxygen in the atmosphere that we breathe, so every time we take a breath, um, we need oxygen, that's why we breathe, and every second breath we take comes from the phytoplankton that is oxygen is produced in the atmosphere in the atmosphere through photosynthesis photosynthesis happens from all the trees on the on the land but it also happens from all the plants in the ocean and the vast majority of the plants in the ocean are the phytoplankton they're yeah, the unsung heroes aren't they really they really are the unsung heroes lots of different colors their diversity is beautiful whereas we just have boring green stuff on land um, and there's you know there's reds Blues, there's browns, there's golden browns, all these wonderful guys out there doing this fantastic job for us.
1: It's a really important message because I think even kids get the significance of trees, but no one talks about the phytoplankton.
2: Very few people. I'm just going to read out this letter because I think, I think it's really worth sharing. Um, In the review declining oxygen in the global ocean and coastal waters, uh, Breitberg et al. summarised evidence showing that oxygen has declined in the open ocean and in coastal waters over the past 50 years as a result of increased greenhouse gas emissions and nutrient discharges to coastal waters. We also urgently need more data on the role and speed of microbial engagement, including how deoxygenation is altering microbial pathways and rates of processes. So... Because we're chucking more stuff into the ocean, we're getting more microbes growing, but ones that don't do photosynthesis. So those microbes are chewing up the oxygen that the phytoplankton actually need to grow. At the same time, as they grow, they will pump more oxygen into the atmosphere, which is what we need to breathe, is that cycle. So given that more than half of the oxygen produced on Earth is derived from phytoplankton, as I was saying, Mm -hmm. decline of oxygen in the ocean concerns life on land as well. We cannot afford to wait before taking action. Breitberg et al., so this is the review that they're referring to, Sylvia and her friends writing this letter, call for raised awareness of the deoxygenation phenomenon. We contend that such awareness must extend to all facets of society, beyond the pages of scientific journals. Intuitive, interactive, dynamic online maps and visualisations will be key to generating the societal and political will toward the effective management needed to ultimately reverse deoxygenation. The global trend by nations of securing large areas of ocean as blue parks is cause for hope because protecting nature protects our existence.
1: Yeah, interesting extension of, uh, of marine parks.
2: Uh, yeah, it is. We need more marine parks and we need to, as they were saying before that, raise awareness of this mm. for our politicians and, you know, interactive maps. We all love getting online now and seeing what's happening through... You know, perhaps if we had maps of showing you know, where the oxygen is depleting, where the pollution is, where we have the marine parks, if people could be engaged with that more, then that might lead to us protecting our beautiful earth more mm. and having this. I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, so with declining product, primary productivity, so declining phytoplankton in the ocean and therefore we have less oxygen in the atmosphere, therefore we're going to be in trouble. Um, one of the things that is... She doesn't; they don't Sylvia and her maids don't talk about that in the letter. But I mentioned a couple of weeks ago that with climate change, we're getting a decrease in um, sea ice. Models show that we will have decrease in sea ice not only in the northern hemisphere in the Arctic, as we're seeing at the moment, but also so too soon in the next couple of decades in the Antarctic. What this will lead to is that we will have less nutrient flow towards, and this complex. Mechanisms of all this stuff happening that I don't want to go into now, but this will lead to less nutrients heading up towards the equator. As that happens, we will have less, well, sorry, I got that wrong, more nutrients heading up towards the equator. Therefore, we're going to have less nutrients for the phytoplankton to grow in the Southern Ocean. And this is one of the places at the moment where we have huge masses of phytoplankton that are using those nutrients in the surface waters. And therefore, this again is going to lead to a decrease. In primary productivity, in one of the most important places that we have it at the moment, which is the Southern Ocean. So
1: it's it's uh, being predicted to be a shift rather than a spread of nutrients.
2: That's right, a right. shift of nutrients. Right. And those nutrients are not going to be there in moving up towards the equator mm. in decades to come. So there's lots to worry about. What do we do, Dr Beach? What do we do, Dr Beach? Well, <laughs> Dr Beach does not have... What would Dr. Beach do? What, do, what Dr Beach do? what would Dr Beach do? Well, I would um, stop burning coal. I would, you know... It's a good stop start. Stop Adani. Um, I would use very little, consume as little as I possibly could. I, I You know, where do we start, Bron? I mean, this is a...
1: It, 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 we've got to start
2: with ourselves. We've got to start at
0: home.
1: We do. And we need to continue to get the word out there and we need to continue to uh, do whatever we can to do act, undertake the sort of actions that Sylvia Earle is undertaking by continuing to push that message and get that out there and use whatever influence that we can to drive change. Yeah, Because we all know it's not going to come from the top unless it comes from the bottom.
2: Yeah. Mm. The other thing that really worries me at the moment, and we've talked about this a lot on the program as well, is microplastics in the ocean. Mm. And there has been a, um, an article which was published in Science again, and this is a perspective reminding us that we all these plastics that we have in the ocean, where are they coming from? Dirt, the land. And there has been very little research on the effects of microplastics in freshwater bodies on land and what it's actually doing to our soils. And they cite many different, you know... Reasons for these plastics being there, not only leakage from storage areas, you know, places where we bury our plastics on land, but also all the plastics that are used in farming, mm. so for covering fields. Um, and even though we're deeply concerned about in the oceans, there's been a lot more research about the effects that it's having in the oceans, and there has been research on what it's actually doing to the land at the moment. Every time we, well, for example, sewage sludge, there's an enormous amount in sewage sludge of microplastics from... Microfiber clothes, stuff that we wash, doesn't get filtered out and that will go, you know, into our grey water, that gets then put back on the land and we've got an enormous amount there. And we don't really know the effects of these microplastics on humans, let alone the other organisms that are out there keeping us going. It's quite a
1: scary thought, isn't it? Particularly as we, we do, what we do know about microplastics is their ability to carry toxins with them.
2: Yeah, that's right.
1: What that means... Yeah. is what we don't know.
2: And we have campaigns at the moment, fantastic campaigns where people encourage, for example, every time they go to the beach to pick up three bits of plastic bring them back, which is a great thing. Mm.
1: Um,
2: That's starting to spread too.
1: I've actually noticed some comments through my own social, you know, my personal social media where uh, people who have really not been active in this space are starting to say hey i've just seen this what a great idea everyone pick up three bits of plastic when you're on the beach
2: that's right it's a treasure hunt it's It's fantastic i love love doing that with kids and like you know if you get three bits of plastic then you'll get you know a buck or something but you don't even need to do that yeah but not only at the beach anywhere yes i mean that's how the stuff gets to the beach
0: yeah that's right a
2: lot of it is coming out of our drains i mean the it's Especially especially if you're around somewhere like Gardner's Creek. If you see bits of plastic there, bottle tops, pen tops, any of those things that are hard, dense plastics which are not going to break down, pick it up,
1: Mm -hmm.
2: chuck it in the bin. That's it. Or do whatever you can with it. But I, I thought that was interesting just to bring it back to the land as opposed to the ocean, which we are deeply concerned about. And, yes, continue all of that, but there needs to be more research and more awareness, as Neil says, our baykeeper, of picking up plastics, Anywhere.
1: And Neil makes the very good point too that, you know, we call it marine debris, but it's ocean. It ends up in the ocean, but it comes from the land.
2: It's marine debris, but it's our shit.
1: That's right. Hey, thanks, Dr. Beach. Pleasure. Good morning, Terry. Good morning, Brian. Good morning, Dr. Beach. Hi, Terry. How are you doing? Good, thank you. Is anyone actually diving today?
4: Well, maybe not today, but believe it or not, we dived yesterday. Oh my
1: God. <laughs> Where did you dive?
4: Well, I think the only place could anyone could get in, probably the whole of Victoria, was at Flinders Pier. Right. And uh, it was um, an interesting place. We found that I, I had a cup. Well, the story is I've, I've got a group of students that, unfortunately, about three weeks ago, uh, we tried to get their course going and they uh, we got blown out at South Road. Um so then there was school holidays, et cetera. And then, yeah, we just thought, look, we want to, you know, keep them going. And, yeah, so we went down to Flinders. And it was actually okay. The visibility was okay. We actually saw quite a few fish, a couple of stingrays. So they thought it was great. But um, <laughs> as we walked back along the pier, we were getting buffeted by the northwesterlies. And we had horizontal hail hitting <laughs> our face. <laughs> so we had to leave our, our dive hoods on as we walked back. It was so bad we were laughing. It was amazing, <laughs>
1: I remember dives like that where they, yeah, it is so bad. You just have to laugh. There's nothing else you can do. Oh was it um, was it really packed down there? Did everyone just kind of make a beeline for Flinders because there was nowhere else to go?
4: No, not really. I think most people were just completely sensible and thought, let's not go out, as uh, Dr Beach said, let's stay inside. There was a couple of other groups there. And um, I, I hate this, you know, I was walking down initially, you know, checking out, doing a a site inspection and had my floating flag and all that and there was a cray boat guy there and he looked at me and he kept looking backwards at me and then he said geez you're keen
2: aren't you oh no
4: you know here i am paddy instructor you know, safety of my students and i'm thinking oh don't say that don't say. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, he had his he had his cray boat tied up next to the pier and he's getting buffeted around but of course we're we're right under the pier and and uh, it was actually fine um
2: yeah. (laughs) Anyway, we got through it. Terry, you said the visibility wasn't too bad. That surprises me since it was so windy yesterday. I guess it it reminds us that it it doesn't stir once you um, get down to a couple of metres, two or three metres.
4: Yeah, I mean, Flinders is one of those really variable sites. I mean, we have um, a really good Facebook site called Melbourne Dive Reports and probably the second most common question asked is, what's the visibility like at Flinders? Um, but, yeah, I was really surprised because I'd heard a couple of days ago it was terrible. Um, but, as you know, Western Port's a lot more probably tidal-influenced uh, than, than Port Phillip Bay as far as sort of stirring up the silt and mud. and Yeah, it was just, we, we timed it with the high tide at 10am, so we got down there at 8am. And, um, yeah, it just, uh, I, as the, we did a, two dives, and as the hours went on, it did get more stirred up with the waves. So I think the north, we were hoping for westerly, and it was a bit more northerly, and it was starting to stir up. But, as I say, we had three or four metre of views, and, and it was fine.
1: Um couple of uh, things I want to ask you: Where's the water temperature at at the moment?
4: The water temperature is it was uh, eighteen, so it was actually warmer in the water than out, <laughs> and which was amazing. And I had a quick look at uh, the wonderful Bay Winds site yesterday because um, we got to ninety six kilometres an hour at uh, Faulkner Beacon uh and he uh, he has the bay temperature and ocean temperature as identical at the moment so right. this is the tipping point time which is yeah and then the uh, ocean will start to plateau off and the bay will start to get colder and then of course in winter the bay is colder than the ocean
1: yeah that's right yeah. um now i noticed uh, ocean divers are running a cleanup event next weekend at flinders pier do you yeah, know anything about right. that one
4: uh, yeah, so they do a monthly cleanup, um, so it's part of the um, it's sponsored by uh, Paddy Project Aware, and they they do a cleanup of the beach as well as underwater, and then they record all the debris that's collected and it's sorted into you know plastic and metal and all that, and they take photos. Um, and so that's on uh, I think that's on Saturday, and then Sunday we're doing the sea slug uh, census uh, Sunday morning uh at legary so that's going to be pretty busy fantastic um, can i do a, can i do a quick mention of where i've just been in the philippines yeah, oh, yeah
1: just just Sorry. a quick <laughs> one no definitely and i want to get you in to talk more at length about the philippines too because that'll be wonderful to yeah. hear that from you firsthand yeah
4: well you're talking about you know um you know we talk about a lot of sad things and bad things and then it's good to, ha- to have some happy things so Uh, We were very fortunate to go out to the middle of the Sulu Sea down south uh, to an amazing uh, UNESCO World Heritage Site called Tubataha. Um, It's a tiny little atolls, amazing walls. I've, for a very, very long time, by far the best healthy reef, fish, sharks, tuna. uh, We had whale sharks, uh, everything. Very, very, very little plastic. We collected two pieces of plastic and two very old... Uh, fishing nets and just mind-blowing diving. Um, so it was just, I thought, oh wow, finally, there's lots of sharks. The whole reef looks healthy. Just, you know, I thought, yeah, we're very isolated, but Gee, it was good. And they've just built a, a couple of years ago. They built a ranger station there, and they uh, sort of, hopefully, they kind of monitor who's out there. They only allow four dive boats out there um, in the year, and there's only three months of the year you can actually dive there. So it's. So obviously, they're they're doing a great job protecting it, um, and I think a few years ago it was terrible. There was some uh, American minesweeper or something crashed into part of the reef, and um, yeah, I need to look all that up again. But yeah, so but but, but yeah, obviously it's really um, recovered, and yeah, just just mind blowing. It was it was wonderful.
2: And again, where where was that in the Philippines?
4: It's called Tubataha, and if you know the Philippines down south, there's a very long, thin island called Palawan, which is a wonderful island. There's a beautiful underground cave and all sorts of things there. So it's the, it's the southwest. Um, so it's a couple of hours, uh, about an hour's flight south of uh, Manila, and it's Porta Princesa is the main little city there. You get in a boat and nine hours of steaming, so you can see how far out it is. It's called the, it's the Sulu Sea, and you're basically right in the middle. You kept if you kept heading uh, east, you would get into the more dangerous part of the Philippines, which we won't talk about. But um, yeah, so it's a, it's quite a long way south, and uh, and there's three small atolls there. So.
1: Hey, Terry, um, yeah. I'm going to, we'll get you in to talk more in more detail about the Philippines because um, we've got sure. Cade Mills to come in to talk yep. about the sea slug census, which you've just mentioned for Blair-Gowry. Um yep. Thanks so much. And we'll get you in studio soon, hopefully, because we really want to find out more about these um, amazing places where you've been diving in the Philippines. All right, no worries at all. All right, have a great Sunday. Okay, see Thanks, you. Terry. Bye. See you. Bye for now. Amazing.
2: Uh, yeah, I was taken to... Um Somewhere else then, I was like, there's beautiful images yeah. she was describing diving in the and Philippines. Coming
1: back from the Philippines and diving at Flinders Pier and the weather that we experienced yesterday <laughs> just goes to show she's a rough, tough diver.
2: She's the best. She is the best. Dr. Beach, we had a call. Oh yeah, Well, we just had a quick message from Dr. Surf saying, it's Surf Report, it's F-N, I'm not sure what he means by that, <laughs> um, going off, exclamation mark. Yeah. So it sounds like it's pumping.
1: It's one of those days where it's, it's not working for the divers, but it's surely working for the surfers. So Big Wednesday. Nice. Now sea slugs are one of the most popular and most photographed groups of marine invertebrates, and a favourite spotto for divers all over the world. But what do we actually know about them, and particularly our local sea slugs in Port Phillip and Western Port Bay and surrounding areas? Well, next weekend, it's Melbourne's turn to say we Sea slug, su- I knew I was going to mess that up. We see sea slugs by the seashore when divers and snorkelers are encouraged to take part in the first ever Melbourne sea slug census to tell us all about it and how you can get involved. A great big welcome back to Cade Mills, Reef Watch Coordinator at the Victoria National Parks Association. Morning, Cade.
5: Thank you, Bron. Bron. And Morning. Uh, I'm glad you had fun with the uh, tongue twister. Oh,
1: I've been practicing it, and I haven't missed. I knew I was going to mess it up on air. And on the phone from Southern Cross University and the National marine science center uh director professor steve smith uh good morning to you good morning all hey thanks so much for joining us and getting up early
0: thanks for the invitation
1: now this is the first sea slug census for melbourne it's not the first in australia um steve i thought we might start with where it all began
0: yeah. Look, it's. Um, I mean, it sounds like you've got a lot of passionate divers who who are listening in. So they would understand when the when the sea slugs are on. Um, there's often quite a little bit of friendly competition amongst buddies to see who finds who finds the most number of species. Well, that's how it all started. I was actually doing some study leave at a place called Nelson Bay in New South Wales, which is probably one of one of the preeminent spots for sea slugs on the east coast of Australia. And uh, my, me and my buddy, Tom Davis, just kept doing these little competitions, and we said, well, let's get a few more people involved. Um, there's a local group down there called the Combined Hunter Underwater Group, and they decided, yes, they definitely wanted to. A- action and that's when the sea slug census was born it started in uh, december 2013 and the melbourne event will be our 29th in australia so it's really taken off
1: i've only ever done one dive in Nelson bay but i do remember that and it was a long time ago but i do remember that was a huge feature of how many sea slugs there were um and also uh in when i used to dive a fair bit around eden and the bermagui area a lot of sea slugs nudibranchs down there but don't recall seeing many in victoria and kate i'll bring you in at this point What do we know about sea slugs in Victoria?
5: Well, what we do know all comes from... Well, most of what we know comes from Bob Byrne, who's a building contractor who is a... By day and a sea slug expert by night, basically. Um, you know, there's, I think there's about 400 species in Victoria that 400 have
1: 400 species in Victoria
5: alone that have been described. Wow! And I imagine there's probably that waiting to be described. Uh, we have a lot of local divers that passionately sort of follow. Black is one of the hotspots where one of the divers Ian Shaw has seen over 80 in a year diving at the one location. Wow! So, but apart from that, we honestly don't know too much, and that's why we have Sort of got the sea slug census and brought it down to Melbourne.
1: Um, Steve, I was reading about sea slugs being an indicator of climate change. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about that. In what sense are they an indicator and what can they tell us?
0: Well, one of the things about sea slugs is they have a very rapid life cycle. So most of them live for much less than one year. Some only live for just a couple of months. Um, So the other thing we know about them is they're very dependent on a food source and appropriate habitat. So what it means is they can respond very rapidly to environmental change. And if their food source isn't present, so say it's been lost through some sort of human impact, then they won't be there. So we are very keen to explore them um, as not just indicators of climate change, but indicators of environmental health. And just to put that um, climate change component into some perspective. So in the 28 censuses we've run to date, we've had over 850 participants, but we have found during that time 132 um, species or a, records of 132 species that are actually further south than they'd previously been recorded before. So that gives you some indication that there's lots of stuff happening in this nudibrank space um, and with all these passionate divers and rock pool ramblers out there, they can actually provide us with a lot of really important information about how these distributions are changing.
1: Yeah, it's a big thing, isn't it? And I'm wondering whether that's maybe one of the reasons why they're starting to be as prominent in Victoria, uh, certainly more prominent than that that they were you know, even 20 years ago when I was doing a lot more diving um, because I dived a lot in Port Phillip Bay and a, a nudibrank was something that was great to see. See, but it certainly wasn't something that you saw all the time
0: yeah look i i probably can't comment on that having not dived in victoria before (laughs) but i'm looking forward to this weekend although i believe it's 18 degrees compared to 24 up here um but yeah look i think um, there's a number of reasons why we're seeing more nudibranchs there's so much interest across the globe in nudibranchs if you go to facebook sites that dedicated to underwater macro photography um there are nudibranchs are are represented way above their actual diversity so there's this real passion out there in the community which is what we're really trying to capitalize on but yes indeed what we're finding and in particular some of these Um, really flamboyant tropical ones the ones known as the chromodorids which are these really really colourful ones that stand out um, are definitely increasing their distribution to the south and so it's likely um, that we're going to pick some up and that's really what we're looking for here. Cade's already indicated that you know the the Victorian fauna is really well described by Bob Byrne and his his associates over many years. Um, So what we're hoping to find during this census is some range extensions which might be indicative of climate change but possibly also some introduced species and there have been a number of those that have been reported from eastern australia in the last 10 years
1: kade uh let's look to next weekend's inaugural census what are you planning on doing next weekend
5: i'm planning on jumping on board as many groups as i can and sort of helping them out and i've actually um convinced steve to help me basically develop my eye because i'll be perfectly honest branks are something like you bron that i struggle to see sometime and if i have time for a quick question for steve mm-hmm. it was where do people start looking at there's some hints tips tricks as to where find where to find nudibranchs because as far as i understand you know bob's find like 45 in one intertidal sort of rock pool ramble are there any great spots or any tips you can give us
0: Look, there's no doubt you've already mentioned the piers, and I think for divers, you can't go past the piers. What a lot of these nudibranchs feed on sponges or the stinging hydrozoans and so wherever you find large aggregations of those is a great place to start. Having said that, there's a lot that feed on other types of organisms, and um, for those that aren't diving, some of the best places to look are um, decent sized rock pools which are quite sheltered but also a boulder field so those areas where there are relatively um, small rocks that you can turn over without damaging the habitat and have a look underneath those because a lot of nudibranchs will actually shelter under the under the boulders at low tide um, and it's been actually one of our most productive areas is the intertidal uh, uh, intertidal region uh, partly because it's often overlooked
1: uh, what do people need to do, Kate, to get involved? Because Terry was already talking about um, heading down to uh, What If people are listening and they want to be involved, even people who want to you know, take part and they're not divers, what, what can they do?
5: Yeah, if they want to get involved, just jump on the Victorian National Parks Association website, follow the ReefWatch links through to the sea slug census and there's just a one-pager that tells people how to go about being involved. It's pretty much a choose-your-own-adventure discovery. Go out wherever you like, whatever time, whatever location sort of works for you. Take photos and then submit the photos to us.
1: Now, presumably, you want people to register?
5: No. No? No, it's more we're interested in the photos. We've got a swag of prizes for things like the most interesting species, the best photo, people looking in weird locations. to Try and encourage people to look even in their sort of doorstep in places like Jawbone, Point Cook. Um, and places that people don't necessarily get to, even the Geelong Arm, I think, is getting representation down there. So we're looking forward to seeing where they turn up in, in different locations. yeah.
1: Fantastic. What we'll do is if you're available in a couple of weeks, get you back in to report on what happens next weekend because I'm dying to find out. I absolutely adore Branks and uh, really, yeah, really wanting to find out what comes out of
0: this. Is
5: I'd that... love to give you a wrap up, Ron.
0: All
1: right, brilliant. and um and if Steve, if you're available, we might get you on, I had a hundred more questions to ask you, but we have to move on. <laughs>
0: No problems. Love
1: to do it. All right, brilliant. So we'll we'll pause this one for now. We'll have the sea slug census next week, and then we might catch up in well, we will catch up in two weeks' time and and talk more about this.
5: Perfect. Catch you then, Brian. Okay.
1: Thanks. Thanks. Thanks, thanks, Brian. Thanks, Steve. We'll chat more then. Okay. Bye. Brilliant. Bye. That was uh, Steve Smith uh, and uh, Kate. Thanks so much. Always a pleasure. And we're moving on because uh, Jeff Maynard's in the green room, and he's got a lot to bring us today. So really keen to get him in. Yes, indeed. And good morning, Jeff Maynard. Good
3: morning, Brian. How are you today?
1: Well, thanks. How are you? I'm good. Dr. Beach will join us in a sec. He's just I'm gone out to grab a couple of calls.
3: Well. <laughs> um, what do we got? Uh, we've got an, an, another Australian TV series with a marine uh, theme. And this one is Skippy.
1: Oh, uh, fantastic. Good
3: old Skippy the bush kangaroo. I was which... hoping
1: you were going to bring Skippy in at some point.
3: Well, I have today. Yeah, excellent. Um, uh, produced in the late 60s, about 1967 to 69, Skippy went kind of worldwide. Um, and one of the reasons was it was sort of very Aussie with a kangaroo. One of the great things about Skippy was when it went around the world, uh, kangaroo is a uniquely Australian word, um, presumably picked up as some sort of phonetic interpretation of what the indigenous called them. And people saw them, they pointed, boy... Po- you know, pointed at that thing and said, "Kangaroo." So when Skippy the Kangaroo was translated into other languages, they didn't have actually have a uh, standard translation for kangaroo. So when when Skippy was sort of dubbed into German, it was Skippy da Bushken kangarooken and all this sort of stuff. And in Spain, it was El Kangaruco, and was um, Anyway, Skippy, um, and in Skippy, Ken James was uh, played Mark Hammond, the son. were well, two sons of the the guy who ran Waratah National Park. Um, And Ken James was sort of the 18, 19-year-old, and Sonny was the little kid with the kangaroo. And uh, in this episode, it starts off with Ken James uh, scuba diving, and he's, as as you do, scuba diving alone without a boat in a fast-flowing river to study reef life or whatever he's doing. And then Dad, which is, uh, I think, Mike or Matt Hammond or somebody, and Tony Bonner come out in their boat... And they haul him, you know, and, and pick him up and c- c- come bring him to the service and tell him they've actually got a job for him. Uh...
0: Well, what's the big news, Dad? There's a marine biologist coming here to do some underwater work in the river. I've had to accept it as an assistant. This is your big chance to work with an expert.
4: I don't know anything about marine biology. No, but you're our expert on deep sea diving. Oh, gee, Dad, what do I have to do? Give this KB Trout the guided tour. Well, not quite. Trap will tell you what's
2: required and you set it up. The department wants a report on the marine life in the river. You can uh, start at the reef and work your way back. Oh, come on, Dad, that could take
4: weeks. I not only missed out on the survey flying with Jerry, but I have to spend all my time mooching about with some underwater professor.
2: Mm. I'm sure it's going to be a real ordeal.
3: <laughs> and poor old Mark Hammond, you know, he, he just <laughs> really doesn't want to get involved in some stuffy old professor who's gonna check out sea slugs or plankton or (laughs) whatever we've been talking about (laughs) this morning and he so he he sort of says look i'll go out on the boat with this horrible old person but but you know can sunny and skippy come with me so he brings them along as kind of backup. trout sounds like some old fish what's he like you'll find out
2: would you need someone to give me a hand with the boat
0: i'll say i will I don't want to be stuck out in the river with just this tame biologist for company. Well, if you can put up with a few free loaders.
4: We can look after the boat, Dad, while they're underwater.
0: Yeah. All right, off you go.
2: Come on, Skip! <laughs> <laughs> so,
1: now, you, you know with that trumpet, well, things are about to take a turn. You
3: do, you know, <laughs> and it gets better. And uh, if, in the 1960s, you were getting a haircut at the local barber, if you're a bloke getting a haircut at the local barber, and you picked up one of the sort of dog-eared copies of Australasian Post or Picks or something, and there was a pretty platinum blonde on the front cover in a bikini on the sand somewhere holding a spear gun or with flippers on her feet. <laughs> Chances are it was Cathy Trout, and that's Trout with uh, two T's on the end. Uh, Cathy Trout was, a in, in 1963, as a 16-year-old, uh, she she scuba dove to a depth of 97 metres wow. on, on air just outside of Sydney Heads and got herself in the Guinness Book of Records for doing so. It was a world, world record depth, uh, 3 320 feet on air. I don't know if that's a world record depth for male, female or whatever, but it was pretty hairy stuff on, on, on just compressed air. Got herself in the Guinness Book of Records, but also got herself on the cover of all these magazines, including Woman's Weekly and all that. She was the deep sea diver, sexy, platinum blonde, 16-year-old. And then she also got herself into some movies, Uh, body doubled for um, Brooke Shields in the Blue Lagoon and all this sort of stuff. And it um, was good stuff. So anyway, I don't think she's an actual marine biologist, but in this episode of Skippy, she turns up. So uh, we get to the point where Mark Hammond and um, Sunny are going through the scuba gear, loading it on the boat, and they find a lipstick in in amongst the scuba gear. What's this got to do with marine biology?
0: All the best mermaids wear it these days. <laughs>
5: This is yours?
1: If it was amongst my gear, it is.
5: This is your gear?
1: Yes. I'm Cathy Trout.
4: Cathy Trout? The deep sea diving champion. You're the marine biologist. Uh, Oh, Mark Hammond. My name's Sunny. And this is Skippy. Hello,
1: Skippy. I've heard about you. Uh, You don't have to come out in the boat, Sunny.
4: But you told Dad. You needed me. Oh, it doesn't matter. We'll be able to manage. You said you didn't want to get stuck out in the river Uh, with us. That was something else. About Jerry and the helicopter. I think you should come, Sonny. You and Skippy could be very helpful. Gee, thanks, Miss Trout.
3: So, <laughs> oh, gold, Jeff. Sun, Mark and uh, Sonny and Skippy and, and Kathy Trout in a, her bikini and a little wetsuit all go out on the boat together. Uh, Mark and Kathy Trout jump overboard, go um, diving down to survey the reef, of course, Skippy and Sonny are left on the boat. Sonny falls over, bangs his head on a scuba tank, and is unconscious. And at the same time, he knocks the control on the boat. So the boat's speeding off uh, with an unconscious Sonny and a Skippy on, on, on the boat, speeding towards the rocks and the reef and all that. Along comes Tony Bonner in the helicopter, picks up uh, Kathy and Mark, puts them in the helicopter and they're chasing, racing in the helicopter after the boat and there's a net hanging off the side of the boat. They've got to get Skippy to undo a double reef knot so he can drop the net in the water. <laughs> so Mark can jump in the water, grab the net, climb on board the boat and save them before it hits the reef. So uh, we're chasing Sonny. I don't know
0: what's happened down there but Sonny
4: seems badly hurt. He hasn't moved. I hope He's all right. He must have started the motor by accident. He broke the anchor rope. He'll break more than the anchor rope if he doesn't get that boat under control. Trailing anchor line, it's our only hope. Can you take me over it and hold me there till so I can hook it out of the water? You'll never make it. Not with a grappling hook. I'm not going to use the hook. Just get me as low and as close as you can. Gibby! Give me, Gibby give me the net! Lower the net!
3: And guess what, Skippy, Skippy does Skippy, it. Skippy, Skippy uses his little paws and does <laughs> his double reef knot, and the net falls over, and and Mark jumps in the water, hangs on, climbs up. Sunny sort of goes, oh, what happened? It comes to consciousness, and they save the whole lot. So well done, Skippy. Um, that's it. Fantastic,
1: <laughs> <laughs> Jeff. You've reset the bar.
2: I try. <laughs> you gonna, you're going to have all these people out there now. Google imaging um Kathy Trout Kathy
3: Trout it's Kathy with a K <laughs> All right and, yep uh, she's two T's about, on the Trout She's still alive she's in Sydney uh, she's obviously got a, a sort of nephew or niece or someone she doesn't like to do a web page for her. And, and you know when they do a web page where the background's all black and the the writing's in white that they haven't really thought about it. But there's all her pictures up there of her. This is her on Pix Magazine in 1966 or something. That's that fantastic. Did. So good old Cathy
1: Trout. I've got some homework to do, I think. Yeah,
3: I think we yeah. all have.
1: Excellent. Thanks so much, Jim. You're welcome. That was wonderful. Um, thanks to our uh, guests today, Cade Mills and Steve Smith. We're going to get them back in a couple of weeks to talk about the sea slug census which is taking place next weekend we'll put a link to that on our facebook page to um to the actual sea slug census facebook page as well and uh thanks to you dr beach Pleasure. And thanks, Terry. Thank you, Kent, very much. And uh, the radiotherapy doctors will be in shortly to take you through to 11 o'clock when uh, Einstein and Gogo will be in to take you through till 12. Have yourselves a great Sunday next week, Dr Beach.
2: Uh, With John Ford.
1: Excellent. And I will catch you in two weeks' time. Yeah, have a great Sunday and we'll catch you soon. Bye for now.
0: Radio Marinara is brought to you by Deakin University's School of Life and Environmental Sciences. Triple R sponsors. This has been a podcast from Free Triple R, 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.